The deacons and I talk a lot, they will tell you, about active or reflective listening. We talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And this is um, one of the main practices in pastoral care when you're um, talking to somebody who just needs a listening ear or um, is going through some kind of crisis. And um, we practice this. But when you're dealing with someone who has dementia, there can be very special challenges in engaging and the same rules don't apply. So to help us in our learning, I contacted Insight Memory Care Center in Fairfax. Um, some of you, several years ago, it was known as the Alex, uh, family, family Alzheimer's Family Day Center. Um, it has a new name now. They're a wonderful nonprofit that since 1984 has been providing services to people with Alzheimer's and their families. Um, they have great resources. They also um, have their own um, adult uh, center. Their assistant director, Christy Clark, who you probably read about in the publicity, um, was going to speak, and she had to cancel but we are very lucky that she was able to enlist Colleen Walker, who is executive director at Brookdale Senior Living in Arlington and has a long history um, working in the long-term care industry um, and is a certified um, memory impairment specialist. And I understand from Christy that you are such a dynamic speaker and we're very glad to have you here. So, we thank both Colleen and Eric for being here, and I will turn it over to them. Thanks, Eileen. But I'll just say thank you for having us here. And definitely, Colleen is a wonderful speaker. She's helped do a lot of our own training and things for our staff, uh, and she's a very nice face to see at Insight. But I'm not really going to say too much. Um, Eileen, thank you for the nice introduction. I do. I left a couple of things. It's event season, so we have a lot of special education programs and things coming up for family caregivers uh, or anyone else. If you're interested in different knowledge, we have things uh, from a local author who was just diagnosed with dementia and wrote actually a poetry book. Um, something about uh, different grief um, that came up in one of our support groups. And actually this coming Saturday, an all-day event uh, on a lot of different kinds, uh, topics around Dementia 101, different legal considerations and resources in the community. So if you're interested, please feel free to grab something. But otherwise, I will turn it over to the wonderful Colleen. Thank you. I'm being tape recorded, but I used to be a lifeguard on Oak Street Beach in Chicago. Trust me, they could hear me in the sanctuary. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. I want to first of all thank you for the opportunity to be of service to you and for ev all the service that you give to other people. This is just, it's wonderful that I have the opportunity to give back. Um, thank you very much. This is going to be an interactive kind of presentation. So I hope that you have a, you're going to have a little bit of fun with this as we learn together. Okay? Um, the very first thing I'd like you to do is everybody close your eyes. Deep breath. Blow it out. Deep breath in. Hold it. Blow it out. One more time. Deep breath in. Hold it. And blow it out. Open your eyes. 
and I want you to think about Alzheimer's disease. Mind is clear, except for now. When you think of Alzheimer's disease, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? First thing, yell it out. Memory loss, what? Grandfather, mother, forgetful, confusion, lost, reality, what? Cognitive loss. Anything else? Sadness, personality changes. Anything else? Dementia. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, right? Anxiety, yeah. You know what I see when I see Alzheimer's disease? I see trust. I see unfathering love sometimes. I see happiness. And I do see joy. I see remembering the past in such a way that it, that's what they want to talk about right now as we peel away those, those layers of the onion. Does that make sense? Can you imagine... I work in an assisted living community. And can you imagine you're laying in your bed and at 7.15, somebody comes in, knocks on the door, flips on the lights, comes at you, pulls down your blankets and starts changing a diaper. You don't know them. You don't know who they are. And yet you let the care happen. If that's not trust, I don't know what is. Trust that somebody's going to take care of us. Yeah? I get more hugs in memory care than I get throughout the day, any day. I have a 17-week-old Yorkie puppy named Shelby. Shelby is up on the unit every single day. And one of the residents respectfully calls her Swiffer. Because she is on the floor picking up any crumb, and now he takes cupcake crumbles and throws them so that she will swift them up for her, for him. She has also taken to playing fetch. And, you know, the little balls they have are only this big. And we will play fetch, and we'll throw it across the room, and she'll bring it back and just drop it. And a resident who doesn't say anything says every time he throws that ball, his name is Tom, says, look at that damn thing run. <laughs> look at that. Every time. His wife, Patty, could not believe that he was speaking. But what I, what I tell you is, is with this disease, they're in there. They're in there. We just have to find a way to get to them, both, both pastorally as well as on my job as far as care and the delivery of services. So we, we are partners in this. So today, I want to talk to you about what Alzheimer's disease and what it isn't. I want to talk to you about the progression. I want to talk to you about how to communicate effectively with these individuals so that you can help families and the, the, um, the person that's affected themselves. Are we good with that? If we accomplish that in the next 50 minutes, it'll be a good day, won't it? Okay, so everybody has a handout, and I, and I apologize, there was a, um, a PowerPoint, but it was 29 slides, and I, I like something to go away with. So you can take notes on it, you can write all over it, it 
write questions down, okay? And if I, if I need to answer a question, you're going to hold your hand up and say, Colleen, what's this? Okay? Does, anybody, does everybody have a copy? And can everybody hear me okay? We're okay? No problem whatsoever on that, huh? Is it too loud? Shall I turn it down? We're good. I'm also from Chicago, so I talk kind of fast. If I'm talking too quickly, say slow it down, okay? Okay. You have, a hand, you have handouts. The very first handout is A, an Alzheimer's disease breakdown or overview. You can read the top part. It talks about how it was discovered and blah, blah, blah. But what I want to talk to you about is what physiologically happens in the brain with Alzheimer's disease. What happens in the brain that makes it Alzheimer's disease versus Parkinson's versus alcohol-induced dementia? What happens? You need to know because if you know, you're also going to find, I'm going to go a little bit later about medications, okay? First thing. This is your brain cell. This is a breakdown of your brain cell. And this is kind of biology 101. The, the, the brain cell itself is called a nucleus. And inside, the, you know, the, the neuron is the brain cell. The middle of it, or the heart of the, of, the neur, of the neuron, is a nucleus. And then I want you to think of each one of the neurons like a house. Can you think of it like a house? It's a pointy house. And it has communication lines going into the house. Those communication lines are called axons. Just so you know what they are. Communication lines going into the house. All right? Now, this is the interaction part. I need everybody to stand up for me. Can we come into the middle for a sec? Those of you that want to, if you can't, that's fine. But if you can't, come into the middle here. We can move tables, too. You don't have to go all the way around. We can split them and come in. <laughs> now, I need everybody to join hands and sing Kumbaya. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> all right, everybody. Now. This is what I need to tell you. Right now, each, each and every single one of you is a neuron. And we're in a big brain because we think alike, don't we? Right? So we're in a, a collective thinking brain. And you're a neuron and you're in, everybody here is a neuron. Put out your arms. Oh, that's okay. Communication lines going in and out of your house. Going in, coming in, right? Here are your extensions. This is your internet, your Fios, whatever you got inside the house. Are you with me? So, we're the house. Communication lines coming into the house. Extensions. Got it? Scooch in here. Everybody scooch in. Scooch in. I promise I will not bite. I promise. <laughs> All right, everybody tans in the middle. This is how a brain cell works. This is how it works. And all of these communication lines are talking to everybody else's communication lines. This is how it works. Hello, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? What are you doing over there? But sometimes... Problems happen with Alzheimer's disease. Everybody that is wearing a sweater, put your hands down. Everybody that has long hair, put your hands down. This symbolizes what happens in the brain. 
we have neuro we have uh, plaques that happen in the brain. It's a group of proteins that attack our house. Okay, and what happens when when what happens when you think of plaque? What do you think of? It's a coating. It's a coating. And what happens is it coats the houses and acts like a huge insulator. It has a ton of insulation. And what happens when you have a whole bunch of insulation in your house? Nothing gets in and nothing gets out. Guess what? That cell dies. The other thing that happens in our brains is that we have uh, neurofibrillary tangles. And when you think of tangles, what do you think of? Hair. (laughs) It's a group of proteins, put your arms up, that wind their way along our communication lines. And what happens when no signals get in? It dies. That's what happens in our brains with this disease. Just so you know, right now, you can tell a family what happens, can't you? Right? Because you're going to remember this, right? All right, head back to your table. Good job. There's water in my cooler in case anyone needs it. We had to change the air conditioning things today, so I apologize that the works up water. Yes, please help yourself. We're just spitzing. It's okay. You know what? Take that plaque off. (laughs) So we have neurofibrillary tangles, hair, wrap around the the axons or the telephone wires, cut off communication. When a brain doesn't have communication, guess what happens? It dies. That cell dies. Same thing with plaques. If you you have uh, the plaque that attacks the neuron and covers the house with that insulation, nothing gets in, nothing gets out, the cell dies. Now, there's a third thing that happens with this disease, and that is there's a chemical in the brain, very long name, that acts like brain battery acid in a car. All right? You know, the, you know your battery acid. What happens when you're bad, you don't have enough battery acid in your car? Right? Sometimes you can get it started. It's sluggish. Guess what? The same thing happens in, a, in an Alzheimer's brain. It does. A decrease of this specific chemical happens, and when we don't have enough of the brain battery acid, it absorbs. The brain doesn't have what it needs to make those connections. So guess what? The brain dies. The brain dies. And what happens when it dies is it shrinks. And you've heard the word of brain atrophy. All that is is brain death and shrinkage. Atrophy is shrinkage. Okay? So, three things that are characteristic to Alzheimer's disease, and only Alzheimer's disease. Plaques, tangles, and that decrease of that neurotransmitter. Now, they have drugs out there right now that deal with specific aspects of the brain. Specifically, the brain battery acid. That medication is Aricept. Everybody's heard of Aricept. They talk about it on TV. Oh, Dad's been on Aricept. He's gotten so much better. He wouldn't have gotten better. He would have maintained. 
but people usually don't get better with Aricept. It just because all the medication does, the only thing this medication does is slow down the absorption rate of that brain battery acid. So when they say people have gotten better, how can that happen since they can't put back what was already there? So there's a little bit of false advertising for you. But it's still a best guess when it comes to, to uh, what doctors are trying to do. The other medication is called Namenda. And the, these two medications are used in tandem because what Namenda does is, you know the, the sticky protein, the plaques that get stuck to the house and those stringy, yucky proteins that, that get around our phone lines? All this medication does is it lets them be less sticky so that they don't stick, so that they don't cause the damage. So that's why doctors use these two medications in tandem. Does that make sense? So when you're talking to families, you can talk intelligently. Oh, yeah, you're probably on Namenda and Aricept or, you know, a, a combination of thereof. Okay? All right. Now, your next page should start with the P. It's got a P on it, and it's got a brain down at the bottom. Yes? Progression. Am I going fast enough, slow enough? You're getting the information that you need? You're with me? Okay. So let's talk about the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease. All right? Dementia is a psychological term. It means demented. What does demented mean? It means that the ability to think, mentia, the ability to think, mental, is impaired. That's all dementia means. So have we all been demented at one point or another in our life? <laughs> we have. We have. Dementia is a group of terms. It is like an umbrella, kind of like the cancer umbrella. There's cancer, but then there's colon cancer and brain cancer and breast cancer and pancreatic cancer. You have all these other cancers underneath that have their own group of symptoms. Yes? Dementia is the same way. Dementia is the same way. It's a big umbrella. And there are different types of dementia underneath this umbrella. Alzheimer's disease just happens to be the number one form of dementia. You have heart disease or vascular dementia. When you have issues with your heart, not getting enough oxygen to the brain causes dementia. You have alcohol-induced dementia. People who have dr drank a long time, they may not have been alcoholics, but they have, may have done enough damage having enough alcohol at different types of their life that in fact it has caused brain damage. There is Pick's disease, there is Parkinson's disease, there's Lewy body disease, there's mad cow disease. All of these different things cause dementia. All of them have different physiological symptoms that go along with it, just like plaques and tangles with Alzheimer's disease. Okay? Yes, ma'am. That is correct. 
That is correct. And why do you think that is? How are the, I want you to answer the question. Are you ready? If we know what causes Alzheimer's disease, and it is what? All of you get gold stars. All of you get gold stars. Yes. So if we know what causes it, how do we see it? How do we see down to the neurological part of the brain? You need a piece of the brain, don't you, to look at it, right? Are any of you willing to give up some of your brain just to see? Usually not. And it usually starts in the deep brain and works its way out, and I'm going to go over that in a minute with you so that you can be better prepared about staging, okay? So the answer to your question is, the, there is the only way to find out definitively if it is Alzheimer's disease is upon autopsy. Plaques and tangles do not show up on the MRI. Atrophy does. So the brain shrinks in the area. It, we're guessing, but the only real guess is if you take a piece of the brain with you. Okay? And I'm not giving up any of mine. Right? Any other questions? Great question. All right. So everybody's got their progression page, right? So what I want to show you with the difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia. The staircase that you see, I want you to write above it, dementia. And on the straight line, I want you to write Alzheimer's. Okay. When you look at dementia, you look, it looks like a staircase, doesn't it? And that is because physiological changes happen to the brain that cause you to go up to that next level of confusion. So if you and I are perfectly normal and suddenly we get a terrible infection that causes, causes delirium, we're going to go up a level in confusion, aren't we? And we take our antibiotics and we're okay and we go back down. Right? With people with dementia, and, and the thing is, is that with dementia, it doesn't look like a perfect staircase. We can start off over here, and we're down on the bottom, and we take a step up because let's say we had a little bit of a stroke. Not a big one, just a little one. And we're demented for a little bit. And guess what? We get some of that back, but not a whole step. So we reverse a little bit, and we continue on, we continue on. Up, oh, we have a little bit of a bigger stroke. And we're at this level of confusion now. And you know what? We rehab and go back down a little bit. But you can, you can see that we're still using the staircase, aren't we, as we go up. And let's just say, not only here, but we have a stroke. And when we're in the hospital, we get an infection. And when we get the infection, it causes a heart attack. Can you see what this happens? And suddenly, we're following this staircase, yes? With Alzheimer's disease, if it's a true diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease and not any one of these other types of dementia, what's going to happen is that without any of these other physiological things happening, without a stroke, without an infection, they're going to go from point A to point B to point C to point D on their own. Now, can it be exacerbated? Because can a person with Alzheimer's disease also have a stroke? Yeah. Can they have diabetes? Can they get an infection? Can you see how this can go very quickly? 
So when people ask, how long does Alzheimer's last? It can last as long as a person can. It's individualized to that person. The interesting thing with Alzheimer's disease is that research is indicating that a true diagnosis where they're starting to really see symptoms that affect the functioning of the person don't happen until anywhere from five to eight years into the disease process. And that those changes were already happening in the brain that we didn't even know because of some defect. So it's, it's fascinating what's out there. So Alzheimer's disease and dementia. You can talk to your families about this. You can pull this out and say, let me talk to you about that. The main difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia is what? One is reversible and the other is not. There's no reversing Alzheimer's disease. If you're on that path, folks, you're on the path. And if you have any type of other dementia, some forms of dementia are, in fact, reversible. Some. Some. You can rehab back from a stroke. You can rehab back from a, a terrible infection. Are you with me? Okay. Now, I want to talk, there's another, I gave you a big brain. It's your last page with the blue uh, strip in it. If everybody will go to that next, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. So everybody's got a brain, right? All right, put your papers down. Look at me for a sec. Everybody, put your hands together in a fist. Can you have your two fists together? You ready? Just like this. Are you ready? This, ladies and gentlemen, is your brain. Right here. If you take your noggin out, it's about this big. If you have big hands, awesome. <laughs> if you have little hands, you're a great thinker. Okay? Now, what the picture that you're seeing is if you take your brain like a melon, right down the middle and open it up like a melon, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a complete cross-section of the brain. Okay? This is a cross-section of the brain. And I want to talk to you about your library that you have in your brain. You actually have a library. You do. It is called the hippocampus. The hippocampus is your library in your brain. And ladies and gentlemen, if you look at me, it is the, the you see the little balloon in the middle? It is not the next layer, but the layer before that, after that. So it is this middle layer right there. Okay? Right there. Right there. All right? So, yes, you got it. Right there. Yep. That's it. Right there. Right there. Right there. Right there. Okay? Yep, right there. You got it? Right there. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right there. Perfect. Perfect. Right there. Right there. Yep, right there. Just that. Uh-huh. That's that one. Next one down. That one. Now, what that is responsible for is that is your memory center of your brain. That's the memory center. It's your library. It's your library of memories. 
This is the part of your brain that tells you, do you have to remember something for five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days, five years, or your life? Now, tell me, what's something you need to know for life? What's something that you need to know for forever? Your name. You need to know who you are, don't you? What's something that you only have to remember for five seconds? Huh? Oh, good one. The only thing I have to remember for five seconds is the domino's number. Five, 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 one, two, one, two, five, five, five. Okay, and once it goes through, you're good. I don't have to remember it anymore, right? Right? Same thing goes. This is the thing, this is the part of your brain where the plaques and the tangles start. And what happens with this disease progressively is that our memories get lost in the library. The books are all there. The books are all there, but they're jumbled. The books become jumbled. And at first, the library is, the, the confusion level is slight. It's a slight confusion. It starts with they're going to the library and they know what section to go to and they go and the book's not exactly where they are, where they want, but it's a, a couple books down and they pull it. And they get it. And then it gets progressively worse. The library goes, sometimes they go to the wrong section and try to find the book. Sometimes they walk in the library and go, what is this? When they're trying to find a memory. And I, when I talk to families and I talk to, to folks like you, I say, memories, when you look at the brain with Alzheimer's disease, I want you to think of a big block of Swiss cheese. Okay? That's our brain with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And what happens is that those, it's not a full piece of cheese, is it? It's got holes. The thing is, is that if you put your finger in a hole, eventually you hit cheese. And it's the same thing with these memories. So, you know, when you have somebody that says, oh, he's having a good day. That's because we hit cheese today. We hit cheese today, folks. Are we going to be able to find that same hole to put the same finger and hit the cheese the next day? Probably not. But today we hit cheese. And we're going to live in that moment. And that is why I talk to families about creating moments and not memories. Because we live in the moment, and we live for today. We make moments, not memories. And that is how we give absolute day-to-day -day care for people. It's a good day today. And we're going to live in the moment today. Does that make sense? I mean, from a pastoral standpoint, does that make sense to you when you're kind of talking with a family about this? We're going to live for today. Today is what we're going to live for. And if today's a bad day, it's okay because tomorrow is a completely new day. And guess what? We may hit cheese immediately. Right? Yes. Yes. So we have the brain. And I want to talk to you about the progression of what happens through this disease process and what you may be seeing with people that you're trying to help. Okay? And, a lot, and I'm going to go through the stages with you too. Okay, and how they relate to the brain. All right? So we have our hippocampus, and that's our library, and we have our plaques and our tangles that are interfering with that. And suddenly they branch out like tree, route, tree roots. 
and the route and the roots go right to the frontal lobe first. Take your hand, wave at me. Hello. Take it and put it on your forehead. That is your frontal lobe. This is the part of your brain, ladies and gentlemen, that makes you you. Do you like to talk in front of people? Are you are you scared to talk in front of people? Do you sing in the shower only? You know, do you like sports? Are you a bookworm? What are you? It's right here. This is who you are, right here. And this is the part of the brain that's affected with Alzheimer's disease first. And the very first thing that people start seeing with this disease, even before they need anybody with that, like me, is people start, and look at here, it's number one, it's fear. Like, oh my God, why can't I remember that? And people could be working. These individuals could be active, productive people at home. Because trust me, the youngest diagnosed person with true Alzheimer's disease, they say it's 29. 29. So, you know, we have young, productive people out there with this disease. And it starts with simple forgetfulness. And what happens, the behaviors that happen from that, the symptoms that you start seeing is fear. Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. You know, how many of you have ever, ever, <laughs> no, no, walked out of a store and say, oh, my God, where did I park? Where did I park? Now, I remember coming in through pennies, and I came, at, I came in through the ladies' lingerie. I didn't come over by the men's trousers. So that means I, I came in the wrong place, right? Because we're able to piece it together from our memories. People with Alzheimer's disease can't do that. So we start, they're not able to connect the dots like we can or recreate it. So we start having fear that with that. Oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. And the next thing that happens, what's the next thing? Oh, my God, what if I'm losing my mind? What if there's something wrong with me? So it goes from, oh, my God, what the hell's wrong with me? To, oh, my God. What if something's wrong with me? And what's the next one? <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> because I, I deal a lot with families, and I have adult children, friends, neighbors, whatever, helping the little gentleman or the little lady next door because they're a little bit mixed up. And they go and they get all the groceries, and they're going to stock the refrigerator because it's empty because I can't go, because I can't manage. And the very first thing after spending an hour putting the list together, going to the grocery store, picking everything out, bringing it back, getting it ready and unloading, the very first thing they say when you come in the house is, what did you do with my wallet? What did you do with my wallet? And the very first thing we say is, what do you think with your wallet? Now you're a liar, because how the hell did you pay for those, those groceries? Because they're putting the dots together in the only way it makes sense for them. Are they going to steal from themselves? Heck no. So you took it. It doesn't matter that you know that their special hiding place is in the guest room underneath the left pillow. Right? But that's what happens, is that they make assumptions. Have any of you ever made an assumption? Have any of you ever judged a book by its cover? Ever? 
Yes, we do it. The big burly guy on the motorcycle with all the leather is actually a dentist. Oh, I would respond to it the same way that I've done it for years, and that is your wallet. Can you tell me what it looks like? And I'd make them tell me. And you can say, well, I think we need to look for it. Let's look for it. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say I didn't take it. I would simply say, or your purse. What does your purse look like? Where's the last place you saw it? Let's start there. I wouldn't deny it. I wouldn't do anything else. Let's put the groceries away and let's look. Okay? Yep. Hard, isn't it? It's hard not to get defensive when that happens. It's very hard. But getting defensive doesn't help us. Because in their mind's eye, that's what happened. So we need to get past it by solving the problem. So we go and look for it. Tell me about that wallet. Did you have pictures in it? What color is it? The whole nine yards. Okay? All right. The next thing that happens is denial. This happens all the time with me. There's nothing wrong with me. All those people are absolutely nuts. Or my personal favorite, and I kid you not, this happens almost on a daily basis. I have a little old lady. He's probably 90-something years old in a walker. She's walking, and she looks at me, and she goes, and she, she goes, and I said, well, what's that, Vilma? Hey, there's a whole bunch of old people here. <laughs> Has no idea. And I said, you're kidding. So we match. We match what the feeling is. Okay? And we say, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Come on, let's go over here and do something fun. Okay? Oh, my gosh, look at all these old people. Or I do not belong here. You don't. There must be some type of terrible mistake. We want to match that. We, we go along with the, with the, wherever they're at. We join that journey. Right? Join that journey. If today is Sunday and they're getting ready for church, we're going to let them get ready for church because that means an extra bath today. Right? And if they put on good clothes and we take a spin in the car and come right back, we're done. Church was done today. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what happened. We must have got our days mixed up. I have a gentleman every single day gets ready for a meeting. And we take him down to the first floor, and we wait around. And he looks at his watch, and he goes, where is everybody? And I said, you know what? I don't know. Should we go upstairs and check the calendar? Do I tell him that he's not in charge of the board meeting anymore? I do not. I simply say, okay, let's try this. And he goes, you know what, I don't know, maybe I got my days mixed up. I said, you know what, maybe you did. And we join the journey and go back upstairs. You with me? Okay. Next thing that happens, this is where you're going to start seeing it here. You start seeing withdrawal. They're not coming to service anymore. They don't want anybody to take them out to church. They don't want to go out to lunch. They don't want to be with family. I'm staying at home where it's safe, where, it's, where it is, I know where everything's at. It's like that den or that womb, all right? Hard to get people out during that. So how do we get people out? 
if we're going to bring them to service, we want to get them in right before service starts or right after it starts. And you want them in the last seat on the end. Why? Easy in, easy out. If they get anxious, they're not going to disrupt anything. So I've worked with a lot of churches to have that back pew kind of cordoned off for people just like this. And I don't know if that's something that you do here. It might be a suggestion. And it is. Just cordon off for people who are taking care of somebody with special needs. Okay? And especially somebody who they might get there a couple minutes late because they're having difficulty getting in the car. Or a little slow on the start today. All right? I also try to work with people on the pew that's closest to the bathroom. So there's not a walking across the sanctuary or whatever. Okay? All right. Next issue. Mood, personality. Right? Am I there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, withdrawal, isolation, personality changes. Personality changes happen very quickly with these folks. First, they can be very happy, and then it's like turning on the tears. They cry at the drop of a hat. Or another thing that can happen is they become very angry very quickly. Again, a true experience, just last week I had a gentleman who was very high-functioning. He actually, he he thought my director of nursing somehow was asking for information about him. All he needed was a copy of his insurance card for the therapist. And he thought, oh, my God, what are you asking for that private information? He felt violated. He didn't understand what he needed. He thought he was going to scam him somehow. And the son, it was the first time the son saw the behavior in the, in the, uh, the father. And I had to say, you know, it, we need to get, it's time to start thinking about implementing the power of attorney. So that you have those legal documents in place for when this progresses to the point where he doesn't remember. Okay? So, again, it's keeping your eye on these kind of symptoms so that you can interject the type of services that are required at the time. All right? Next thing that happens, judgment and reasoning. These are people who can be, you talked about the seniors, if you watch the news, that were scammed by the, the, um, the tree cutter. Um, these are people that get duped. And everything from QVC to the 700 Club to the, the um, Humane Society and the poor little puppies in the cages. If there's a phone and they have a credit card, they're going to call because call now because we need your help. Well, who isn't going to give these poor things help? Right? So we have to be very careful because at this stage, our loved ones or your, the people that you're caring for become very vulnerable and can have hundreds of thousands of dollars taken away. And again, I'm sorry I keep interjecting personal things, but when I worked in Wyoming, um, I worked with one of the biggest ranch families in Wyoming. They had like 5,000 acres. And what they did is they had one of the railroads going through their property. So they were collecting railroad rights on top of this huge, huge ranch. And mom lived on the ranch and had dementia and would drive every day. But she would just go, and she'd come out of the ranch, make one turn, go into town, come back. She only had to make one turn. Guess what? The day that she, they called me, she made the turn onto the railroad tracks on the property. And she drove. She didn't recognize the fact that she was on the railroad tracks. And it's a good thing that they had a brand new car and the lights came on because there was a train coming. 
and the conductor saw that something was on the tracks and stopped the train, which is fantastic, with the exception of that that car had 128 big um, train, tra train cars on it that had to be on the other side of the country at a specific time to get the routing for the trucks. The disruption took seven hours because they actually had to get a crane out to get the truck off the thing. The family was going to be sued for everything they owned because it disrupted so many, so many different businesses as part of the disruption in that train track. True story. Can't make that stuff up. <laughs> so I got that call at like 10 o'clock at night. Any call at 10 o'clock at night is usually not a good one unless somebody won the lottery. Um, so judgment and raising, upset there. Now, from number one to number eight, I want you to draw a line in between number eight and number nine. Number one to number eight is stage one of this disease. Stage two starts with number nine, which is safety issues, wandering, turn, get, getting turned around. When somebody gets turned around in driving, you can rest assured that other things are going on at the home. If somebody gets turned around in the neighborhood, ladies and gentlemen, other things are going on at home. They're just not telling you. They are probably not eating correctly, eating rotten food, eating the wrong food, taking too much or too little medicine. They may be having the temperature too hot or too cold. They might try to dry their underpants in the microwave and cause a fire. All of these things happen when people are, when there's not people like you that watch over these individuals and are paying attention which is why this is so important to you, to help you pay attention. All right? The next thing is, I'm sorry, reading upside down, safety issues, attention span. Usually we can pay attention without getting too bored for about 20 minutes. Something has to happen or people have to keep you engaged in order to keep you going, right? Stand up, do this, give me your hand, break your hand. I'm doing that on purpose. All right? I don't want to lose you. My goodness. So, Attention span for these individuals range typically when they are at this particular stage to about three minutes. You and I, 20 minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes at the higher stages. As you get lower and lower in this disease, farther along, the attention span can go as much as only 10 or 12 seconds before they're off and doing something else. And Eric has these individuals in our Sunshine Group at Insight that we really have to keep them constantly engaged to make sure that they have an enriched lifestyle, okay? And they do such a great job in their Sunshine Group. So um, the next thing that happens is con concrete thought. Don't touch that. That's hot. They lose that ability. They're losing the ability to follow more than one step at a time direction. So how many of you have ever popped popcorn in the microwave? Yeah? How many times have you had to look at how many minutes you have to pop popcorn? No? Our, even though our microwave has the popcorn button on it, right? We, we have to look at the directions and what side is up and which one looks this way and you put it down and okay, this is the side, right? 
but we're able to put it together because we know what comes next. These individuals, if they had to open the package, open up the package, open up the microwave, that's way too many steps. How many steps are there to brushing your teeth? Huh? There's a lot of steps if you think about it. Brushing teeth with somebody with dementia is hard because you don't want to put your fingers in anybody's mouth, do you? Try to get somebody with Alzheimer's disease dentures out. That is a happy day for sure. Okay? So, yeah, you have to think about this and because we're going to have to start as providers and as caregivers to take those things and break them down into subtasks. All right? So maybe we start with sit down. <laughs> right? Not go over there and put your shoes on because you have to start with sitting down. And it's lift up your right foot. Put your foot in your shoe. Push down on your shoe. Tighten your laces. Do you see everything we have to do to do that? So we need to break it down. Um, social skills. <laughs> if I'm hot, I'm going to start stripping. If I have to go to the bathroom and I can't find it, you better watch your plants. Watch your garbage cans. Watch your closets. All right? If... I don't like you. I'm going to tell you right now, loss of social tact happens here. Oh, my gosh, you're so beautiful. Oh, my God, you are so ugly. Oh, my goodness, you're so thin. Oh, my God, you're so fat. Oh, I mean, it just it goes back and forth. Loss of social tact happens here. If somebody's too loud, somebody's going to be told to shut up. <laughs> you know, shut up. Okay, that can be embarrassed. You can be embarrassing, okay? All right. Fine motor coordination is next. We start seeing issues with, you know, you're signing your name, but when you are eating, we start seeing the spills down the front. And I'm not talking because you're not paying attention and you're, ah, and, and no. I'm talking when we're focusing, we're missing. So we're starting to see some of the stuff down the neck, down the, um, down the front of the shirt. All right? All right. After that, generalized movement. When we walk, generally, we walk with one foot in front of the other. Do we not? This is how we walk, yes? As we become more and more demented, we do more of a mosey. <laughs> we do kind of a mosey. Yep. And then we start furniture walking. Holding on to stuff. How you doing? Huh? How you doing? You're walking up the, the church. How are you doing? Good to see you, right? And then we start walking like this. Why are we walking like this? Balance. Better, better foundation, huh? I don't fall so far. That center of gravity doesn't go down so far. It is our brain's natural defense of taking care of itself. It's remarkable. Even our movements are changing. Okay? <laughs> this is my favorite part. I told you. Sorry. All right. So we de we're dealing with balance and coordination. This is where falls happen. And right between 14 and 15 is your next line. That's our stage two. We're going into stage three, which is our final stage. End stage, as they would say. 
and we start having falls, issues with swallowing, that gurgly voice, <coughs> the constant <coughs> clearing of the <coughs> throat, little dribble out of the side of both corners of their mouth happens at this particular stage. Right now is probably where a person like me is talking to family about hospice and bringing on extra care. We're changing the way people are eating because they're not able to swallow whole foods anymore, so we're going to do puree or baby food. More liquids to keep them hydrated. Now, reading is an interesting thing. I don't mean reading and understanding, but I mean reading that says exit. And uh, so we, we can enjoy simple things with reading. Okay, we can enjoy looking at pictures that have small captions and reading a caption. Oh, look at this is George Clooney. Or, oh, this is Gregory Peck or whomever. And we can have a conversation about that, but are they going to be reading along with you? Probably not. All right? The final thing that we look at with this disease is music. How many of you like music? I would assume. Whatever kind of music you like, whatever kind of music they like, music stays with us the longest. It does. It stays with us the longest. So you have stage one, you have stage two, and you have stage three. The end result is death. Alzheimer's disease does not have any survivors. You die from this disease or a complication thereof. You do. You do. So that's the progression of this disease. Do you feel like you could talk to families about this? Yes or no? Hmm? Generally? Generally. Okay. Question. Yeah. Um, with reference to the notion of you know, you. staying with their reality. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're sure? Yes, I Is her daughter sure? Yes. Her story is that her older brother, who she was very close to, um, died um, tragically young and fell into a hole. And they just, he died and they just covered him up. Deserted. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to be you and you be her. Just for a second. Is, is this okay with you guys? All right, what is your name? Eileen. Eileen, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm really sad. Oh my gosh, I'm sad to hear that. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, he was visiting on this farm, and they were planting corn, and there were these big holes, and he just, we don't know how it happened, like collapsed, 
and he died in there. And I don't know why, but they just took dirt and just covered him up in the hole. Oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. How did how did his family deal with that? I don't know. My my father can't even talk about it. Mm, I can imagine that would be kind of hard for everybody. You know, tragic things happen to a lot of people. You know, and you know how how do you think we're going to help you get over this? This is, you know, did you have any control over this, Eileen? I don't know. I wasn't even there. I didn't even get to say goodbye. Oh, that sounds like it would be terrible. I'll tell you what. Tell me a little bit about your brother. Oh, he's he's wonderful. I just I looked up to him. He's my big brother. It sounds like you're going to miss him a lot, but I think that you have amazing memories, don't you? I'd love to share some of those memories with you because I think that maybe we can overcome some of your sadness by thinking about some good things about your memories. So let's talk about that. Talk to me about a favorite memory that you have with your brother. On the farm. You worked on the, he worked on a farm or you both worked on a farm? So he lived on a farm. Wow. How big was that farm? Did you have corn or wheat or did you have animals? Oh, my gosh. What did you take care of? Because farm girls always take care of stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Did you take the chicken, the the kitchen scraps down? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Were they noisy? Did you ever get bit by a hog? Oh my gosh, that sounds. Uh huh. It sounds like you had a huge. Do you have a big family? Um, just my older brother and my younger sister. And are you close with your younger sister? What's her name? Um, Adelaide. Uh huh. And when's the last time you saw Adelaide? She was with her girls. Yep. What do you think? Mm-hmm. But she, if she's going back to that, she's right there, right there with me. I'm living in her movement. She's telling me, and if she couldn't answer the question, I would ask a different one. Yeah. You know, if you can't remember, that's okay. But you know what? What color were your brother's eyes? Let's talk about things that we can talk about. But we can, using your farm analogy, go around the corn crib in the barn. To, we're not tell, telling her that that's not a memory. Because for her, it's a memory. What I can do is I can talk about sadness and then kind of switch it on you. It's just you, you're doing the leading at that particular point. very affirming. Yeah. Because I didn't tell you no at all. I went with her. I said, you did great. When, we're, when you were little, what did you do with Bobby? Yeah, perfect. It's exactly the way that I would have done it. I kid you not. Now, I know that we're at 8 o'clock. I have about five more minutes. Shall we continue? Okay. All right. Now, we talked about... Thank you for letting me do that with you. That was wonderful. Golf clap for her. All right. So, let's talk about forgetfulness and how this all ties in. I want you to look at your brain, the blue part, the one with the blue. And you see you're at the bottom of your forgetfulness. 
there's a bull there's a bullseye or it's your tree of life however you want to say right in the middle I want you to write the number 18 in the bullseye 18 and on the outside ring I want you to write number one Okay, and all the rest went through it. If there were 18 rings, you'd get the point. What happens with Alzheimer's disease is that we start exhibiting the memories in the reverse order that we acquire them. So last remembered, first out. Last remembered, first out. Let's look at our brain. Just to, just to affirm this. Are you ready? Let's look at number one. When's the first time you had true fear? And I don't mean fear of spiders or snakes or roller coasters, but true fear. Usually does not happen until you're an adult where you know consequences. How many of you are parents? If you're a parent, have you ever lost a kid? Just even for a moment and your heart stops? Ever lost a dog? Your heart stops, right? Oh, my God. That's fear. Usually doesn't happen to an adult because you know consequences, right? Go down one more, two more. Paranoia, assumption. When do you start connecting the dots? When do you start connecting the dots for, for events or making assumptions, judging books by their covers? A little bit younger, Right? Let's go down a little bit more. When do you start getting your personality? When do you start getting your when do you start spreading those wings and becoming your own person? Your teens? Yeah? A little bit younger. Let's go down. When do you start using judgment? <laughs> and I'm not, that can be a that can be a double edged sword. But when do you know right and wrong? When do your parents teach you right and wrong? A little bit younger than in your teens, right? Are you seeing where we're going with this? Let's go all the way down to number one. When do you hear music for the first time? A lot of people do it in the womb as a child. Now you know why music stays with us the longest. That's why it's with us so long. It's because we, we've had it our whole lives. You know the words, music has charms to soothe. The savage beast, right? The old adage? True story. It works. I had a gentleman um, played for the, the Cleveland Indians, Rusty Baker. He was a giant of a man. And when I mean giant, like 6'4". His hands were like mitts when he would take your hand. Nobody could get him into the shower. I mean, honest to God, nobody could take him in the shower. I went in and I started, I sat on his bed. And I started just humming, take me out to the ball game. Just take me out to the ball game. And he, I, he picked up his head because he was a beast of a man. <laughs> and I said, and I, then I started thinking, take me out to the ball game. Take. And I put my hand out. And he took it. And I said, come on. I didn't say we were going. Take me out to the ball game. <laughs> we got him a shower in about 10 minutes. He was... Sparkly clean. I must have done take me out to the ball game six times. 
But it did, was I where he was at? Did it work with him? Was I in his moment? Yes. That's what this disease is about. So that is why this happens. Last thing, and let's talk about behaviors. This is going to be one, a little bit of Psych 101. This is called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. What this means is that we cannot achieve our highest level or a level any higher than the one that we're currently at and that we have the other ones underneath us intact before we move up to the next level. It's kind of like the rungs on a ladder. All right? For example, if you were homeless and you didn't have shelter on a rainy night and you didn't have anything but the clothes that you're wearing right now and you were you didn't have food or or drink and you didn't even know we're going to go to the bathroom does it matter how many friends you have <laughs> doesn't matter no because those needs need to be met first so we need those physical needs met first the next one are our safety needs I need to feel safe, okay? I need to make sure that my doors are locked, that my purse is secured, that nobody's going to take anything, that nobody's going to hurt me. I need to feel safe. Now, if I am in a shelter and I have three hots and a cot and um, suddenly my things are being stolen, do I feel safe? No. So I go and get a crappy apartment in a yucky part of town, but you know what? It's mine, three hots and a cot. I got it all. Physical needs are being met. I'm feeling a little bit safer. Now, for the first time in my life, I'm feeling lonely. I feel lonely. I, need, I don't feel like I'm a part of anything, right? I just, I, because the other, I didn't have time to be lonely. I was too busy worrying about the other things first. So I have three hots and a cot. I have my own little, you know, crappy little apartment, and now I feel like, I want to meet people. So I go to church. Or I join a, a club that I meet people that I know. Or I go to the library and chit-chat with people. Whatever it is, now I, I'm part of a society. I'm part of something. I feel like I'm a, I belong somewhere. Right? So now, okay, oh my gosh. You know, I can do better than just flipping burgers at McDonald's for money. I want to go back to school. I'm working on my self-esteem needs. So I go back to school, I get my degree, I get a better apartment, right? I'm putting some money in the bank, and suddenly I meet somebody, and now I have a relationship, and now I need to start, start setting some goals. I want to get married. Got to put some money away. You see how, as humans, we set goals for ourselves? Same thing happens. So when we are looking at behaviors with people, if we get down to the core of the behavior, if I'm finding out, that somebody's looking for mom or dad or somebody is being very demanding. Well, when you're demanding, you're commanding attention. It's usually self-esteem, right? You want to be, you, you want to be in charge. Don't tell me what to do, right? So we want to find out what type or where they're at in this hierarchy of needs, and we want to meet the need. How do I meet the need? I give them stuff to eat, stuff to drink, shelter, food, water. And this is at their own home, too. I say, what a great parent you are. I love you very much. I'm so glad that you're part of my life. You are such a great dad. Look at all your achievements. 
and we review that. We can do a life review with people to review these things, giving them their platform for self-esteem, I mean for self-actualization, which is the achievement of your, of your goals. True story, or true fact, there's a, there's a research study that's out there that states that if people are self-actualized in the final stages of this disease process, they tend to pass away very uh, carefree, very comfortably. They don't kind of tend to linger. They go nice and quietly. People who are not self-actualized tend to kind of hold on. And what research is trying to prove is that they're still trying to figure it out. Was life worth living? Did they do a good job? So we, as pastoral folks, as providers, as people of the human race, can simply say and sit with that person and say, you are a great guy. You made a contribution to society. You did well. And you can kind of help them along that journey, which is very nice. All right? So we've gone over what Alzheimer's disease is. You know what the physiological markers are in the brain. Your plaques, your tangles, and your decrease of your brain battery acid, right? You know the progression of the disease. You know why it proceeds the way it does. And now you know a little bit more about why behaviors happen. And our time is up. I want to thank you very much for your time. If you have que- Does anybody have questions? No? All right. If you have questions, I will leave my contact information. Well, you already have it, but um, Eileen has my contact information. Please feel free to contact me.